Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I'm joined once again by Kevin Fly on the Wall Hume. How you doing today, Kevin? Uh, I think a little better than the fly that was in Pence's hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what happened to that fly? That's what we want to know. I don't know, man. People got to do some digging and find out where it came from. Is it, you know, a Russian spy or something telling him what to do? Whispering into his wispy hair. <laughs> For those of you who missed it, uh, a fly landed on Vice President Mike Pence's hair during the debate last night. Uh, it was a mostly sort of what you would have expected debate where like two people who can actually, you know, form full sentences, uh, debated each other, um, got a little testy from time to time. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish that Kamala Harris had called out the fly. I felt like it would have been kind of like a real power move. You got a fly in you. Yeah. Could have thrown you off. It reminds me of, um, th that reminds me of, of, uh, nothing to lose a great 1997, uh, buddy crime caper flick with, uh, Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence. Uh, and there's this scene, um, that, you know, by today's standards actually is like, it actually says something about, um, you know, systemic racism. Uh, Tim Robbins character has a, a large spider on his head. Um, and this is the, this is in the part of the movie where like, they're starting to begrudgingly accept each other that they have to like work together on this, this thing that they're doing. Yeah. And Martin Lawrence says, you've got a spider on your head. And Tim Robbins, um, typical, typical sort of privileged white dudes. Like, I don't know what that means. I, I don't speak, you know, I don't speak your, like your, your ghetto language. I forget exactly what he says. Uh, and then Martin Lawrence says, it means you've got a motherfucking spider on your motherfucking head <laughs> and then tim like he's like freaks out oh, great, great scene but yeah uh, fly fly landed on pence's head last night um and uh for those of you who didn't see the debate i understand you didn't see it either kevin i'll just recap it for you i mean sadly i walked away feeling like both pence and kamala harris would probably make better leaders than trump or biden and at least the fact that they can they can speak clearly and they seem to form full sentences in their mind before well, they open their mouths. That might be because they're both not in their 70s. <laughs> hey, no ageism now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, should we put a cap on it? It's like, you know, you, you guys have worked hard enough. You know, why you want to work know, so dude. hard, guys? I, I mean, at the very least, maybe not age limits, but like when, I don't know the exact percentages, but when it feels like the vast majority of our rulers, you know, our leaders of, in, of government are all above 70, you know, some in their 80s, it's just ridiculous. Like, why can't we have people that are our age or a little older, like Gen X, leading the way? Mm, yeah. If you like prune juice, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't, shouldn't lead the free world. <laughs> I was going to say, if you like prune juice, well, maybe you're in Congress. Uh, yeah. Or you, or you believe uh, QAnon or you are, you know, God knows what Congress, they let anybody in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah. And speaking of speaking, Trump's speaking style reminds me of a cocky high schooler who thinks he can wing every single oral presentation and as a result ends up rambling on in a run on sentence uh, for the entire time. But his dad, you know, is the police chief and, and plays golf with the principal and the, the <laughs> superintendent. So he just always goes home with a good report card. Like uh, accurate. Nothing, accurate. 
nothing can hurt this guy anyway yeah so like i was reminded of this about trump just the other day when he uh tweeted out a video of him speaking outside of the oval office and he just starts saying shit first he says that he he didn't need to stay in the hospital as long as he did but the doctors asked him to so he did and then he compliments the doctors as if he didn't just like doubt their medical opinion in the previous sentence or overrun them yeah and then he pivots to this like we have the greatest thing thing that he always says that that america has the greatest doctors the greatest nurses the greatest first responders and then he also brings in law enforcement yeah uh because you know law and order you gotta gotta keep uh, throwing that one out there he's hitting all the points uh and then he basically goes on a sales pitch for regeneron and eli Lilly and like all the american you know companies which i'm sure like he probably had his broker like buy a bunch of stock in before he tweeted this thing wait he's not making any money off being president no 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 then he says the vaccine will be here soon and that it's going to be here soon because he pushed the FDA harder than any president ever has pushed the FDA in human history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he takes issue with the medical term therapeutic, which was pretty bizarre. Um, some people don't know how to define therapeutic for me. It's a cure. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, and then it turns into like, it becomes, it was his suggestion that he takes Regeneron. It was almost like he was saying like, I created this drug. I mean, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't say that. Yeah, I know. He should have been like, yeah. Yeah. And then I got with my research and development team. I don't have a very good Trump voice. I mean, you're not from Queens, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to not, but. And then finally he pivots to China. Yep. China. Yep. It, His it, favorite foe. It wasn't your fault that this happened. It was China's fault and China's mm-hmm. going to pay a big price. This was yep. China's fault. And just remember that. Like, China snuck the virus into the White House. You heard her here first. Just like just like that kid in high school, too. Like when, you know, when he gets sat when he gets called called to the principal's office, he's like, he's like, Well, yeah, but China though. <laughs> J- China but did China did it though. But China It wasn't my fault, I swear to God. It wasn't me. There's that great scene in the Blues Brothers where Jake, uh, played by the late John Belushi, uh, is confronted by this woman who's been going at him the entire movie with various guns and explosives and things. Played by Carrie Fisher. Yes. Yes. Carrie Fisher. I believe they were dating at the time. Anyway, um, she, you know, accuses him of leaving her at the altar and um, proceeds to go on a little mini it wasn't my fault thing by saying there was locusts and lots of other things and he just ends with saying it wasn't my fault i swear to god and of course he takes the sunglasses off and looks at looks her in the face and she believes him kisses her and then drops her and then goes away classic scene 50 miles to chicago 100 miles to chicago 100 miles to chicago we got uh we got a half a tank of gas carton of cigarettes it's, it's dark, dark and, and we're wearing sunglasses. We butchered that. <laughs> it's something like that, though. <laughs> great movie. Great film. Speaking of uh, great films, uh, The Lincoln Project, that Never Trumper uh, Republican uh, group, they put out um, their own spin on uh, Trump's, <laughs> Trump's video, um, and uh, it's fantastic. 
Here's what it sounds like. You'll, you'll have to go uh, watch the video on YouTube, though, to get the full effect. Hi, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. I got back a day ago from Walter Reed Medical Center. I went in, I wasn't feeling so hot. And within a very short period of time, they gave me Regeneron. A short 24 hours later, I was feeling great. And that's what I want for everybody. If you're in the hospital and you're feeling really bad, Regeneron. We have hundreds of thousands of doses that are just about ready. You're going to get better. You're going to get better really fast. Regeneron. Because I feel great. I feel like perfect. I want to get for you what I got. Regeneron. And you'll see some amazing things happen. You're going to get better. You're going to get better fast, just like I did. (sighs) can't wait for this all to be over hope the secret service doesn't come knocking at my door when they find this all these episodes of the sf weekly podcast <laughs> sir come with me uh don't don't tell them where our where our studios are um thankfully on this week's podcast we uh, have some lighter fare so light that it floats in the air we have Car- <laughs> carla the fog um as many may be aware, San Francisco's beloved Carl the Fog Twitter account has been dormant for about 10 months now. Uh, we have Carla the Fog now. She's stepped in. She's rolled in. We also have Xavier DeFrepeles, better known to all you folks in music land as Fantastic Negrito. He's here to talk about his latest album, Have You Lost Your Mind Yet? And the answer is yes. Yes, clearly. Yeah. Clearly we all have freaking out man freaking uh, out man yeah so that's uh who we're gonna talk to next stick around we'll be right back cuts down his friends like amazon trees in the jungle of love he's got the freeze he got a nasty habit yes he got a disease that he gave to a lovely girl named Tessa who was a therapist girlfriend she said let him We're back with Carla the Fog. All of San Francisco's Twitterati are familiar with Carl the Fog, the witty embodiment of our city's most consistent weather feature. But in January of this year, Carl evaporated into thin air, and no one has heard from him since. Then, last month, Carla the Fog issued her first tweet. While not many people noticed at first, earlier this month, SF Weekly staff writer Grace Lee caught wind of Carla. She reached out over Twitter wrote a story, and then Carla and I connected. We had a conversation through Twitter. The following is an approximation of how our conversation would have gone. You know, if Carla could talk. Welcome to the podcast, Carla. Thank you for having me on. I'm so flattered. So, when we published our piece about you, you had just over 1,000 followers. Now you're well over 4,000. We call that the SF Weekly Bump. People talk about Twitter being a hostile place, but I've found it to be very welcoming, even for a ground cloud like myself. Did you expect to grow so quickly? Honestly, I had no idea if people would accept me. I know Carl had a loyal following. He also had his detractors who said the fog shouldn't have a personality. I've come across a few of those types as well. But all in all, the welcome has been great. I love San Francisco, that's why I stick around. Well... It seems like people are interested in what you have to say. How does that feel? Does Carla the Fog have feelings, as we understand them? As an anthropomorphic natural weather event, 
I am pretty empathetic. So, feelings and moods are pretty familiar to me. For people to be interested in what the fog has to say makes me think that we all need a bit of positivity and levity in the world. We're going through a tough spell in 2020. So I try to keep it upbeat, even when I'm being a little snarky. And I love that people have been sharing that their kids also love me or have thought that it should be Carla instead of Carl. Speaking of Carl, it's been about 10 months since we had any correspondence from your comrade. Does he ever DM you? Any idea what he's been up to? No. I haven't heard from him at all. I don't think anyone has. That's the mystery, isn't it? I have seen some reports that Carl moved out of the area. Wherever he is, I wish him well. Sometimes, a fog moves on. But that means there's room for others. <laughs> Very true. We all know you play favorites with a handful of San Francisco neighborhoods. Some will say that this is simply a matter of geography, but I've often wondered if there might be some other reasons. Are there? It's not that easy to move so far inland. I have to get a lot of help from Mother Nature and my friend on shore flow. Trust me, it doesn't mean I dislike other parts of the city. Just the other day, I got out to the Bay Bridge. That was fun. I do enjoy the irony of being in the sunset. All a part of enjoying being a San Franciscan. And I saw you mention recently that you were craving a cup of espresso? Who doesn't love a morning espresso in North Beach? We know air pressure plays a role in your job, but do you feel other kinds of pressure? After all, people can be so fickle and demanding. One minute they want you to go away, the next minute they're waxing poetic about how much they miss you. Isn't that human nature? You don't know what you've got until you're dealing with triple-digit heat waves or orange skies. I get it. It comes with the territory. Hardly Strictly Bluegrass couldn't be held in Golden Gate Park this year because of the pandemic. You're a frequent guest at that festival. Did you miss it? It's surely a loss for everyone, including myself. The music definitely sets the mood for me to float around and keeps it lively. It also draws more people for me to visit. Like all things, including the fog, the pandemic will pass and we can get back to gathering in the park to listen to great music. Speaking of the passing of the pandemic, do you have anything else besides music in Golden Gate Park that you are particularly looking forward to once humans can go back to what it was like before? I miss the bustle of downtown and people seem to be carrying a lot of anxiety. I'll be glad to see more visitors back in SF. They are always happy to catch a glimpse of something as iconic as me. Well, Carla, we know you're a very busy, low-hanging cloud woman. We'll let you get back to it. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was my pleasure. Have a foggy day. I hope you picked a good voice for me. <laughs> I did my best. We're back with Xavier de Frepeles, better known to his many fans as the Grammy Award-winning Fantastic Negrito, to discuss the new Fantastic Negrito album, Have You Lost Your Mind Yet? His latest effort, which marks his third LP as Fantastic Negrito, explores mental illness and the ways that we all might rise above the insanity of modern life. Welcome to the podcast. 
Hey, what's up? Glad to be here in the Bay Area representing, you know, Oakland, California, San Francisco, and the entire East Bay, South Bay, all love in the house. What's going on? All right. Good to have you here. Um, when you spoke to our music writer, Bill Kopp, um, a month or so ago, uh, you told him that uh, you aren't here to make music that makes us feel comfortable. What did you mean by that? Absolutely not. You know, I'm not for sale. Uh, nobody um, is paying me to say anything. Um, you know, I'm coming at this from an angle as a, a guy that decided to just get on the streets and start uh, just playing music for the people um, with the spirit and the integrity and the interest of, you know, some healing and accountability. I love those two that, that go together. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm not here to be politically correct. I'm not, if I wanted to do that, I would have become a politician or would have uh, or worked at uh, Starbucks or Target. I wanted to be an artist with my life. I don't think you no know, artist shouldn't be censored. People that want to censor artists, there's something wrong with them. They're missing something very basic and fundamental about um, human beings and how we survive and, um, you know, what, how we create and how we relate to people through the ills and, and the negative things that are there as well as the beautiful things, the full spectrum of life. Um, I think, you know, when you're talking about the arts, everything is, should just be open and flow and beautiful. You start censoring people in the arts and you get what you get. Um, maybe what we're seeing today, which is, you know, I look at popular music, you know, this very scripted, sterile, and even in some of the some of the rap music, like this pop rap with these catchy melodies that's and it's very the music is very genocidal. You know what I mean? And no one talks about that. But it's very genocidal and it suggests, you know, firearms and murder and retaliation and you know what I mean? And, and so I'm very much against uh censorship because of the multitude of those reasons. And I became an artist because I wanted to be free. Um, you also mentioned in the piece, uh, that this album was about the micro rather than the macro. Can you expand on the approach you took to making this album and how it differed from your approach on, uh, previous Fantastic Negrito records? Well, on the last days of Oakland, I think I was confronting like this, Hey, the last days of Oakland, like you may have to work three jobs just to pay your bills in America, the city that you grew up in you may not be able to live there anymore. So it was a lot about gentrification and corporatocracy and the, the, the new America, where you get off work and you drive Uber and you think that that's no normal. The second album, I think I was uh, really wanted to take on hard hitting issues like the proliferation of prescription pills and how we lived in a drugged out, doped up America that um, we're just accepting that as like the normal thing that people do. And, I think I was more raging against this this uh, construct, like everything was kind of big, you know what I mean? And the gun industry and the pharmaceutical industry, like, ah, I'm gonna get you. Listen to my guitar riff, ah, rage. <laughs> but I think that, you know, and, um, I had to take a look around me on um, Have You Lost Your Mind Yet? And it was more about, man, like, you know, my cousin, my friend, my band member, you know, how are we dealing with this, um, with this new this new internet era of, of information of disinformation, how are we um, navigating this this propagandist minefield that they call news? You know, we're fed this stuff every day. 
make America great again. Oh, Black Lives Matter, this slogan, this slogan, that slogan. I got a slogan for you. Check this slogan out, this machine that tells us, that informs us, this is what you should say. You know, I think, um, well, I'm a white guy and I lean sort of progressive. Um, and I guess I, I think when I hear Black Lives Matter, like, oh, I need to listen to that. Um, but you're saying it's a slogan. Can you maybe like explain a little bit more like what, you, what you're well, talking about there? What I'm, what I'm saying is that we live in the era of slogans. And I think as a human being first, I mean, first is you're a human being. I mean, I don't you know, get the hang up with we always are labeling ourselves. I don't, I don't think I'm talking to a progressive white guy. I think I'm talking to a human being that I don't know and that I should listen to. So I think we should listen to everybody. You should listen because that's how we learn stuff. So what I meant to say is that we get caught up in slogans. And when you're caught up in slogans, no matter what slogan it is, then you're just caught up in the slogan. And you're just entrenched in a position in an ideology and you're not ready to listen. You're ready to scream your slogan. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, it does. Th yeah, I don't for... really think of it. I don't think of it like, oh, I'm over here. I'm a black guy in West Oakland. I just don't, I don't wake up every day and go, holy shit. Holy shit. I am a black guy. Holy shit. And this is what I know. I'm a dude, man, that you may or you may not like, actually, you know. And you're a dude that I may or may not like. And all that other shit is shit that people are feeding you for their, their fucking agenda. And that gets us nowhere. We're, sh we're shredding this country. We're tearing it to bits with our slogans. So obviously I'm a black man, okay? You know, I've lived as a black man. I have certain experiences as a black man. I get it. And I have to fight the construct of racism and all this, yes. And black lives do matter, of course, yes. But we got to go beyond that. We got to get, we have, there has to be something tangible that our kids, that our youth, that our people, that our citizens walk away with at the end of this and go, I can apply this to a better society. Okay. Um, you have some great collaborators on this album, including oh, Bay yeah. Area, including Bay Area hip hop icon E-40. Uh, can you tell us about the song you made with him, Searching for Captain save -Aho? It It seems to me that the message of that song is a little different from that of 40 Waters 1993 original, but you know, <laughs> it's your song. So like, hey, let me know. First of all, hey man, I can die now because I work with E-40, one of the greatest of all time, as Muhammad Ali would say, the greatest of all time. One of the greatest, just the purest, most innovative, creative artist that really embodies the Bay Area, which is be different, be courageous, live outside the box, do your thing, sound like no one else, just the way Santana, Grateful Dead, Cy Stone, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Metallica, Green Day, um, Tony, 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 all of us did. MC Hammer, live outside the box, do you, be different and that's what i love about e40 so searching for captain save a house that song yeah it is about a reckoning you're growing older and you're not in the streets anymore now you're kind of a middle-aged dude you're a village elder and you finally turn around and you look and you say you know what i've got a lot of double standards i've got a lot of hypocrisy man we've grown up in this kind of 
this this um world of uh masculinity where it's been like hey no woman she sleeps around she's a hoe look she's a hoe so i've been on tour and man man when we do it it's like you're a player you're amazing you're great can i buy you a beer you're a hero wow this dude gets the ladies and after seeing that and touring with women and seeing them being ridiculed i just felt like hey i need to check myself and searching for Captain Saberhole, you know, 25 years later would be a hero and a savior amongst uh, men that were hoeing around and they thought it was great. But then we looked down on our sisters if they felt like they wanted to uh, live a life and be promiscuous if they wanted to. We, I felt like they were double standards and I thought it'd be really interesting and fun and educational and necessary and responsible to address that issue. And I thought we addressed it very well. And that song was mostly about me. Is it, you know, there's a conservative man living inside of me, you know, cuts down his friends like Amazon trees. There's a treacherous man living inside of me, you know, this guy's really messed up. And so I, when I, I, I told 40, that's what I wanted to do. He thought it was really cool that we were grown folks now and we were, man, we're in the community, man, kids are looking to us or listening to what we're saying or not. And it was a great opportunity to kind of, um, I don't know, fix some of that. Maybe I'm the hoe in the song. I'm like, I'm the hoe, shit. <laughs> and people gave me a lot of credit for being a hoe. Okay, uh, last question here. Um, we're getting real close to the election and I know a lot of people are anxious about it. Uh, Bill's profile of you and your new record concludes with you telling him that you're an optimistic guy. So I want to ask, um, how are you feeling right now? And if you are able to stay upbeat at a moment like this, um, can you give us all a little bit of insight on how, on how we could do the same? Well, let me tell you something. A song that I'm writing, I've seen it all happen before. Seen it all happen before. You know what I mean? We've seen this all happen before, man. This is history repeating itself, man. We can't get so caught up and so terrified and so afraid. Listen, people, human beings are going to do what they're going to do. Have you lost your mind yet? Living the full spectrum. And we keep, li we live the full spectrum in cycles. We're like, hey, democracy is great. You know, 50 years later, wow, I don't know about democracy. Let's try this. How about some fascism? Remember what happened the last time? Well, hell, let's try it again. That's dangerous. That's bad. But it's happened before. And I think that we are a resilient bunch as far as human beings go. I think that in the end, with all of our problems, all of our faults, that we do have love in our hearts. And I think we can get to it. I think the problem here is fear, fear, fear. Fear is the greatest fuel, the greatest igniter of bullshit, you know what I mean? Of fascism, totalitarianism, uh, corporate slavery, um, um, predatory capitalism. Go down the line, go down the list. So we just have to uh, come to terms with that. And I think we just have to, um, you know, get our head out of our asses and go out and vote. How about that? Because if we do that, then we have a shot. That's what it takes. My grandmother told me, honey, I marked with Martin Luther King in 1963, so you could vote. Well, I'm telling everybody right now that my beautiful grandmother, born in the South, 
in the country in Virginia, country woman, moved to Harlem in the 30s. Listen, she didn't just march for me. She marched for you too. She marched for all of us so we will have a voice and we will have the right to be heard. So right now our democracy is under assault. No doubt about it. We are, um, you know, teetering. We're flirting with, you know, a fascist regime. These people are serious. They mean business. You got people walking around the streets with, um, you know, um, assault rifles. They're um, empowering and encouraging uh, white supremacy, which, by the way, white supremacy is mostly bad for white people. That'll be a more, we can go into another podcast, but it's really bad for white people. And they've got to realize that. Once they realize that, they'll understand that the solidarity and the camaraderie that we need is amongst people that don't make enough money to live here. You know, we've had a lot more billionaires, more homeless people. The tennis courts down the street here by Lake Merritt, when I was growing up, people were playing tennis on them. Now, displaced human beings live on them. So this is very simple, but it ain't easy because it's so easy to be blinded by, you know, propaganda machines. So we need to just come to realization, come to terms with, with what has happened here and let's act on it. And that's why I'm optimistic because I know as human beings, we have choices every day. Let's make the right choices. Get off of your ass and go vote. Okay. Um, well, Fantastic Negrito's uh, new album, Have You Lost Your Mind Yet, is out now. You can read Bill Cop's story, Fantastic Negrito Gets to the Nitty Gritty on New LP, on our website, sfweekly.com, under the music tab. Thanks so much for joining us today, man. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm ganged up, never lamed up, and I ain't never been no peanut. When I'm moving around in my region, I keep a thumper when I go react. I try to teach and preach to these suckers to stop doing that whole shit. But they're hella hard-headed and stubborn, and they gon' wind up in some more shit. He calling himself a P, but he's a simp. A simp? Partner, you too polite, you gon' get pimped. If you heavy in the game, you can't be light. You can't turn a hoe into a housewife. A housewife. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced, engineered, and recorded by me, Nick Veroni. The song you've been hearing in between segments is Searching for Captain Savaho, featuring E-40 from Fantastic Negrito's new album, Have You Lost Your Mind Yet? Our theme music was composed by The Armature. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. Follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash sfweeklypodcast, and check out our website, sfweekly.com. See you next week. Crying, crying. Just